speech internet radio platform. Perfect, perfect triangle. The perfect triangle is equilateral, three sides of the same length. In an angry, bipolar world, three perfect sides reveal many truths. Body, mind, and spirit. Thought, word, and deed. Conspiracy, propaganda, and truth. Natural health, allopathic tyranny, and your body. Freedom, globalism, and sovereign nations. And now... The perfect, the perfect triangle. Hitler allegedly killed six million Jews. It's untrue. It's just not true. It's a fabrication. That so-called Holocaust is quite simply fabrication. You can spend a couple of hours on the internet, and if you seek out the revisionists, the best revisionists, you'll see all the evidence points one way, and all of the Emotion points in the other way. The, the emotion fully backs six million Jews wickedly killed in gas chambers by the Nazis. Ooh. All the emotions on one side, all the evidence is on the other. How on earth in a couple of years do you cremate six million corpses? It's not possible. If for 50 years the authorities in Auschwitz have been showing a building to busloads of shuddering school children from all over Europe, telling them that that is the gas chamber where the Nazis killed millions of Jews, and if they haven't had the honesty to write in big letters above the door, what you are seeing is just a reconstruction on the basis of eyewitness testimony, then that is a fake. They have concealed the fact that it's a reconstruction which makes it a fake. I'm fine $22,000 for pointing this fact out because it's an embarrassment. Of course it's an embarrassment. The embarrassment is, of course, why do they show the school children the fake building here when allegedly there were genuine gas chamber ruins just down the road three or four miles away? Well, that's because people start asking questions. They say, this is odd, ruins of a gas chamber, but I think, according to the maps I've seen, this was the crematorium, not a gas chamber at all. Four crematoria in Auschwitz because they had immense typhus problems. They had epidemics with tens of thousands of inmates dying, which is a crime. And anybody who says to me, David Irving says it wasn't a crime what happened to the Jews in Auschwitz or elsewhere, is also doing an injustice. Because there was undoubtedly a crime. But we're arguing about scale, we're arguing about intent, we're arguing about the how and the why and the wherefore. And this is what we are not allowed to do. If cremating one person takes 40 to 60 kilograms of coke, that means that to create one million people is going to take 40 to 60,000 tons of coke. And where are those 40 or 60,000 tons of coke? They are not visible on any of the aerial photographs. 
nor are there truckloads of coke being driven up, nor are there railway lines bringing in the, bringing in the, the wagon loads of coke. And anyway, these four crematoria, we know exactly what their handling capacity was, how many cadavers could be cremated at a time. We know they couldn't have cremated more than tops 70, 80, 90,000 people in the four or five years that the camp was in existence. These are the technical questions that people ask. And not only that, you have the problem that people say, well, no doubt the Nazis destroyed all the records. At the end of World War II, everything was destroyed, of course. That's what the Nazis were like. They covered their tracks. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm an obnoxious historian who's worked for 50 years in the archives, and those archives have still not been properly researched. They're still in total disarray, and believe me, it would not have been possible in the last one or two weeks of the collapsing Third Reich for somebody to go around all the archives, taking out all the references to gas chambers, if there were any, or all the references to the final solution, if there were any, and destroying them. They couldn't have done it. And even if they could have destroyed all the German records relating to the final solution and all the German records which contained the fatal word gas chamber, so that there aren't any left in the archives now in Germany, they couldn't, the Nazis, have destroyed what is in the British files. Because, you see, we British were reading the German files. We were reading the German secret messages. When the commandant of Auschwitz concentration camp sent a message to Berlin reporting what he was doing, giving the actual daily statistics of how many prisoners were arriving, how many were leaving, how many were in the camp at midnight, how many had died. We have those code messages in Britain, those actual code messages from the commandant of Auschwitz. We know what he reported. And the chief historian of the British Secret Service who printed this in volume two of the official British history of the Secret Service as an appendix. He states, it's quite evident that huge numbers of people died in Auschwitz concentration camp from typhus epidemics from illness and disease. A small number died from execution, being executed by hanging or shooting. And then he goes on to say, there is no reference in the intercepted telegrams to anybody being gassed. Uja Serovic, niko nije poginut. Samo teroristi koji su rušli pruge i mostale. Pederi. Židovi su pomagali. Ja sam radio sa židovima. U kojoj zemlji ima židov? To nije nikakva zemlja. Nema koreg naroda. Get up for 
frequency of anarchist and communist violence in the streets can lead in only one direction discontent and a rising white proclivity toward violence on their own behalf the time for talk has long since passed as has the time of intellectualism action is what is needed most in these trying times and that action must be driven towards our white revolution do not get bogged down with the nostalgia for days gone by instead channel that nostalgia into action bring about that glorious world that could have been through revolutionary action it is an honor that we should live in such times that the existence of our people rests upon our shoulders is the most supreme of gifts times like these are what birth heroes the moment you feel any fear or doubt strike it from your heart understand that if it is not us it will be no one embrace the chaos and from its ashes a new world shall rise beautiful and pure to victory white man White America, wake the fuck up. White America, wake the fuck up. Welcome to episode number 177 of the Perfect Triangle. I'm your host, Giuseppe. Those with clearances far above top secret call me the G-Man. Well, it's February 2nd, Groundhog Day. That was a good movie. It's interesting that I was watching, I like to watch the Weather Channel late at night when I'm uh, unwinding. 
and they brought up that Puxatani Phil only has a uh, an accuracy rating of 39%, but there's another uh, groundhog named Staten Island Chuck who's got an 80% um, uh, correct uh, ratio. And that that's just odd to me since it's all nonsense, but why would one be so accurate and one be so inaccurate? Anyway, that's just my musing for the day. We've got a great show today, but before I bring on my great co-host, Zach from Logos Revealed, and our honored guest, Dave Gahari, the publisher of Money Tree Publishing, to begin our deep dive into the six million factor fiction. I want to mention that tomorrow on the Hoaxbusters, 8 p.m. Eastern on Speak Free Radio, and uh, the, the video channel, I'm not even sure where they've gotten banned a lot. I'm not even sure where the video is these days. But they're going to celebrate the life of the great Joe Rizzoli, who passed a few days ago and was a real hero to the movement and a vital member of the Hoax Buster team. And Joe was a great guy, and he will be missed, and we, we they're going to honor him tomorrow. So tune in and, um, and uh, celebrate a life well lived, that of Joe Rizzoli. All right, so let's bring in... Our uh, guest, first off, my co-host, Zach from Logos Revealed. Zach, how are you? And uh, what's on your mind today? I'm um, great, G-Man. Thanks, uh, as always, for having me on. I'm uh, excited to talk to Dave. I, I'm very interested in this book. Uh, he sent me a copy. I, I know he sent you one as well. Um, right. I'm, I'm very interested to uh, ask a couple questions about this. I think, uh, I think it's a, a very important book, and I want to get uh, Dave's take on some of it. Yeah, I was reading uh, reading it last night, and then again this morning. And what's uh, we were talking about this before we uh, began the um, the uh, uh, the show. That it's really here. He is here's the man. Hey, I went to the get myth, the books. The legend. Um, so, Dave, welcome. And so much the way we've been doing uh, the uh, deep dives. On some of the other seminal books, such as uh, right there, I have it propped up, Exposing the Lies of History with Reed. And, of course, we're going to do start today with this one. And so you're going to pinch hit for the author, Peter Winter, who does not do interviews. And uh, but, but, I mean, it's interesting, Dave. So uh, any opening statement before we start to uh, dive into this uh, remarkable uh, book? Now, can you hear me okay? Am I coming through loud and clear? Yep, you sound great. Awesome. Yeah, I just had to run and get them because I didn't have them here in the office. Same as yours there. And uh, yes, um, it's great to be here um, on February 2nd. I didn't know it was Groundhog Day. I think the reason the that one other Groundhog, not the Punxsutawney Phil. Staten Island Chuck. Right, and I guess Punxsutawney Phil... Uh, is nearby Zach. So um, the reason that uh, Staten Island Chuck uh, has a higher ratio or success rate is because we just found out um, he's Jewish. Uh, so <laughs> of course he's better. So uh, that that was of the reason. Uh, <clears throat> and he's from New York, uh, like most Jews are. Uh, so no, it's great to be here. Uh, 177, very cool, and looking forward to digging into, uh, you know, uh, this uh, book, The Six Million, Fact or Fiction. And I guess by the end of the show, the listeners will 
know whether or not it is, it is fact. I mean, it's so stupid anyway. But, you know, but at any rate, yes, it's great. And I had a great honor to write the foreword in this book. So um, I don't know if you guys read it yet, at least that foreword. Yep, I've, uh, I'm about halfway through. I mean, the foreword itself. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I read it twice. I mean, that that disgusting beast, Deborah Lipstadt, uh, that's amazing that you corresponded with her. Let me hey, that's my ex-girlfriend, okay? So <laughs> I still have some feelings for her. A little raw, but wait a second. Is that a girl? I don't know. Whatever it is. Yeah, right. Bringing up a picture. So let's see. Uh, so here it is. Look at this thing. Oh, I mean, wow. ugh. Can you zoom it's in on? Can you zoom in on that? As, uh, <clears throat> yeah, maybe not, not. Not. I mean, not do really. do a search for Deborah Lipshot, and that picture will be in there, and then you can get close up because it is really gruesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, look at all these pictures. Uh, uh, just a. Uh, a brutal brutal thing and 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 uh i like that she's sporting a unibrow when she's younger like right here that's the thing there's uh, subversive just uh unbelievable and the funny thing is dave as we've all known ahead of time and uh of course uh we're here to discuss it but the first question before we dive into your um uh and, and let's ask, I'll ask it to both of you, start with you, Dave, is why do so many normies, so many American sheeple dis- act like the Holocaust is real and, and don't question it? I mean, wh- why are they so stupid? Well, I think, you know, they're stupid uh, because I, I, I imagine IQ has probably the most to do with it, genetics. So uh, if we move beyond IQ... And then take a look at why would they believe such a thing? Well, I think it's because of the Jews media and the fact that the Jews take every opportunity that they make for themselves to spread this uh, fiction. And so if we look at, uh, of course, uh, the uh, three autobiographies of... Eisenhower, Churchill, and de Gaulle, in over 7,000 pages, no mention of any Holocaust. If we look at all the work of the, of the great revisionists, uh, which really they shouldn't be called revisionists because they're just historians, and historians are supposed right. to dig up new facts and, and present them if they find them, because you're not allowed to do that with this thing in, I think, 18 countries. But um, if we look at uh, the fact that since at least 1837, there have been hundreds of references in the world's newspapers about six million Jews being in peril. If you look at the forensic evidence, uh, there is none. You know, there's no bodies. <laughs> there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's literally like, as I explained in the, or as I, as I wrote in the foreword, it literally is insane. It's insanity. When you think yeah. about it, so when your average, uh, let's let's use America now, when your average American is sitting in front of the television, uh, 
or going to watch a movie, uh, they're not very discriminating. Uh, many people in our own circle, uh, which would be the alternative media, the truth movement, whatever you want to call it, are not very discriminating. So right. if you just look at the, those outside of our uh, circle, our immediate circle, uh, you'll find, um, especially with the, with the Hola hoax, that by utilizing the Jews media, by getting Holocaust education in schools, by traumatizing the youth, by having laws passed by the politicians they own to prevent investigation, you'll find uh, it's an entire, and this is a relatively new occurrence, obviously, it's an entire cottage industry that has sprouted up around this fallacy, this fairy tale of the Holocaust. But I, I think it goes back to the Jews media. That's the most potent weapon they have. And your average American will say, hey, if it's on TV, it's got to be true, right? Because the average American still has faith in the government and media institutions, although obviously that is being chipped away what seems like daily now because all you guys are doing such a great job out there. And so I think, uh, you know, with the media, uh, the way it is, and then with the media collapsing, things are, are changing and they're going to change pretty quickly. But as far as your question, how is it that they could believe such a preposterous story? Because they're not curious like we are. And because their diet is feeding at the trough of the Jews media. I think that's the main reason. I have to agree. Zach, what's your thoughts as you've now dove into the deep end of this movement? And uh, you you know, of course, the Holocaust is a lie. It's a hoax. But uh, we were talking before uh, we came on the show that even members of your family, like members of my family, think it's real. It's just so frustrating, Zach. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and again, uh, we were speaking about this before. The, the family members that I have that uh, might uh, even slightly think that there's a chance it's not real, they don't care enough to actually take the time to even look at it. Uh, they'll just go, oh, yeah, I guess that's possible. Uh, but they, 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 uh, they hold this indifference. And I, I agree with what Dave said to a, a pretty large extent. A lot of this is they, they had a, a, they have or they have now or did have a deep trust in this system, right? Um, and, you know, reasonably years ago, especially if they're older folks, uh, to have had a trust in this system at one point, because this system was good, right? Now, as Dave said, it's breaking down every day, even more and more and more uh, to an extent that, uh, you know, it's like the, there, there's like clay feet left of the sculpture. Um, I think a lot of these people have a hard time letting go of that trust that they, they have had with this system. Um, it's a very hard thing to accept that you've been uh, lied to, that, that things have been perpetrated that uh, are harmful to you. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think there's a, I think there's a lot of factors there. Uh, and additionally, a, a good amount of it is a lot of these people haven't heard the other side. They just haven't had a chance to hear that side. Um, like I said, you know, there's probably the good majority that even if they do hear it, they, they don't care. They don't want to look into it themselves. But a good amount really haven't heard the other side. That's a great point. And uh, Dave, I think of all the egregious uh, moments that we've witnessed in, in 
promulgating this lie that six million Jews uh, died in World War II in gas chambers is when Ernst Sundill, the brilliant German who was living in Canada and he was hunted and arrested and then brought back to Germany and tried. And when he was winning his case, just like he won in Canada, and then the judge, the German judge, literally came out and said, truth is not a defense, Dave. How, how can truth not be a defense? Yeah, well, that is, um, you know, the way that this myth was, one of the ways that this myth was propagated was that, and, and, and continues to be propagated, is that uh, the, the truth or um, any version of it is not something that has been accepted uh, by the courts. So the, the guys over, the, the poor fellas over in uh, Nuremberg, they were, you know, faced with the choice of uh, saying either, You're, this is nonsense, there's, there's no such thing as ovens to burn Jews or, you know, any final solution. They knew that they had to uh, say something like, uh, I was unaware of anything like that. I had nothing to do with that. And, of course, they were tortured. So this is a um, <clears throat> horribly tortured. This is a continuation of um, the ground laid at Nuremberg. And so it's not just one judge popped up and said, truth is no defense. It's a lot of factors that uh, created the situation to allow this judge to say something as preposterous as that. And obviously one of them is the power of Jews as a group uh, to apply that sort of pressure to the judiciary of many countries. But another is that the precedent set at Nuremberg carried through. And so that had the imprimatur of, of truth to it and justice. And so they can say, or this uh, justice apparatus throughout the decades can say, oh, well, in Nuremberg, uh, XYZ happened and this was ruled. So, you know, it applies today. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Wow. Interesting. So, Dave, tell us a story of how you came across, um, uh, uh, you know, Money Tree Publishing it has so many awesome books. And Peter Winter had this book out for a while. Tell us a story of how you came to um, um, do a massive expansion of it and tell us the exact, it used to be, what, like 150 pages and now it's over 500. And tell us the story of working with this guy and getting to carry this vital, vital book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Money Tree Publishing started, um, and, and I looked it up just relatively recently because I was, I should have known, but I was unaware of it. It really started in January of uh, 2017 with one book. And the way that, and, and, and it wasn't like, uh, you know, I thought about Money Tree Publishing or I thought about doing this. Uh, it just evolved. You know, like pretty much most things just evolve. Uh, there wasn't like some sort of plan saying, "Well, I want to, I want to create a publishing imprint named Money Tree Publishing, and I 
want to have you know these particular items there no it just evolved and uh it got to the point where it was from that from that year and the idea was as as it evolved for me anyway was that i would like to have uh certain books and and movies uh that uh were or touched upon what i thought to be uh very important topics so uh you could go to some bookstores and they'll be literally like uh you know 300 uh, books to choose from i didn't want to do that i wanted to just have the the top books and and movies uh and audiobooks um available and so somebody wants to learn about this particular topic uh which is really uh crudely jews uh which is organized international jewry then they can easily uh you know go through our list it's not that big it's i think it's about 20 items and they can select what they want and people in fact do do that and uh we get calls uh, a lot and i'll get these calls where uh you know they want to know first is money tree publishing real or is yeah. it uh you know a scam <clears throat> and understand why they're saying that because they're surprised that it's there and of course we're surprised that we're there because we've been taken down yeah. so many times uh but uh, you know, they'll actually ask, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've suspected this. And, of course, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm using an amalgam of, of all the calls. You know, we, I suspected this. You know, I'm, uh, I want to learn more about it. Uh, where should I start? And so I might ask them a couple of quick questions and then tell, okay, well, why don't you get this? and this or get just get this and then come which i've done before to a fella who he's on his second book now so get this one and then that'll give you a good understanding and like for example if you know if, if the person is not as well versed in it as as let's say we are uh you know reed's book is a great place to start and right. um exposing the lies of history and uh and then you know if if you're uh you know interested in you know the whole german issue well obviously the myth of german villainy is is a good one also uh for that and then if you want to dive deeper into into it and you you're you're very knowledgeable about this topic then um uh, what we're talking about now, the six million factor fiction, and of course, I'm not neglecting any of the other titles. Uh, the classic is all the way at the bottom, and that is uh, the Synagogue of Satan, and that is uh, Andy Hitchcock's book. And of course, that book uh, has—that's th probably, I would say, that's probably uh, the most banned book that we have. Certainly, um, they—they've attacked him, you know, directly. You know, they went to Amazon to get them off. And, you know, that's that's in a bunch of different languages. Very well known. I get a lot of calls where folks are saying, 
I've been looking for this book. I can't find it, you know, because the, the scumbags over at Big Tech, which is controlled by, obviously, the Jew, the Jew equaling organized international Jewry, not all Jews. Um, right. That's why I don't say the Jews. It's the Jew. It's this big entity, this monolithic organized yes. entity that uh, wants to, uh, as I've said before, rip out our vocal cords, but we're not going to let them. Uh, so the synagogue of Satan, that's a classic. Uh, so it depends on what the, what the folks say and what they're interested in. Um, the purpose is, obviously, to educate as many people as possible, because then they'll have the knowledge that we need, so when the time is right and we can say, okay, you know it now, we know it has to be done, let's do it. Whatever that might be at the time, we don't know. We can speculate. Uh, as far as uh, the Six Million Factor Fiction, this is the eighth edition, and the first edition... Uh, if you open up your books, you can see um, a few pages in. It says first edition 2014 and eighth edition 2023, just now. And this is the first time that Money Tree Publishing is uh, the the sole uh, publisher of this book. And so it didn't just happen. Um, you know, overnight, where said, okay, uh, let's publish the six million. This was uh, th this took this took many years uh, to to happen the way that it did, and the the reason it did was because um, it's a it's a very sensitive topic because of the political and. Uh, legal ramifications of it for those outside of this country and so there are there are a lot of a lot of reasons why it didn't happen I, I'm, I'm guessing maybe uh, four years ago uh, five years ago when I first uh, you know started to discuss this with the author about doing the um, the, the new edition and there were there were new uh, details coming out, uh, which are obviously mm -hmm. in the book, and so that was one of the reasons that it took a while to happen. But because of the way that I am, I can be a pest, and <laughs> I was uh, pestering the poor guy, and because I was excited about it, because I knew that you know this book, the Six Million Factor Fiction would be the perfect uh, addition to what was in Money Tree Publishing. And so it got to the point where the, something happened, the time was right, you know, the stars came together, whatever you want to say. And uh, we began to then, um, you know, copy edit the book and put it together. And, you know, he's obviously the guy i'm i'm nothing i'm not a a holocaust expert i can you know i mean my knowledge compared to his is you know zilch um but he does not do interviews though so uh, it's great that right. you have the book and uh, you, you're such a uh, expert fastidious copy editor that you know you 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 now know it 
well and can easily speak to it. So. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. But um, what I was what I was alluding to is just the fact that this this author uh, is, um, you know, he's he's a part of history, and uh, you know, I found that out when I was in college. I had a uh, a Dutch history professor, Heiko Obermann. And uh, his specialty was uh, the Renaissance. And as I found out years later, he's, he was referred to, he's since passed on, but he was referred to uh, it when discussing that uh, period of time. Because when you gain the, a certain knowledge, and then you could tie other parts of history together with it and your own experiences, uh, you actually become a part of history. So Peter Winter right. is a is a huge part of this history, and yes, I can uh, I can discuss discuss it, of course. But um, he is um, he is very knowledgeable. Uh, Zach, any questions at this point? Want to jump in? Yeah, actually, uh, for the audience listening that uh, might not be familiar with Peter Winter, do you want to give them maybe like a little background on him so they get an understanding of where he comes from? Not really. No. Okay. All right. That's fine. I just meant um, no. like a like a uh, a line of work or like is is he a, a historian prior to writing this book? Did he write anything before this? Is this a, like a new thing for him to do? Uh, this is right here. This particular book is this is his work. So the Holocaust. All eight, dish, eight editions of this uh, is what he's known for. Okay. Yeah, that, that's good. And I should have said that, yeah, I should have said that the, because you mentioned this, Giuseppe, the previous editions, like the, the one directly before this one, the seventh, uh, I believe um, was an eight and a half by 11, but it was 125 pages. So this one is a six by nine, but it's 580 pages. And so it's literally, um, there's nothing like it out there. Uh, it's a, it, it is the reference book uh, for uh, the Holohoax. Uh, because if you look at the, um, <clears throat> sorry, the table of contents, you can see, as a matter of fact, I could get you a, a PDF of uh, that particular section if you want and you could put it up there sure absolutely. let me get that for you hold on a second i will get it now but yes it's it's much bigger and uh it's much more substantial and it has the latest information uh about this um this non-event uh that they consider to be an event uh so let me grab that for you and I should have done that before. I'm sorry about that. Oh, no worries. So now it appears, I was just doing a search, it appears he's never done interviews. Uh, I'm not finding any any video no. of him. No, and there's a reason for that, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, this, uh, th this is a particularly uh, virulent uh, poison. Uh, that we're dealing with. So this isn't like, you know, you're not talking about dealing with, you know, your next door neighbor or a buddy or even a stranger. 
this is like uh of, of well they're they're violent they're virulent um they're sick uh you know they will do things that uh will make your life miserable uh so the last thing uh peter winter wants to do is to uh give them an opportunity to do something so uh he, he he's remaining anonymous in the sense of not doing interviews and uh i've had people ask me over the years not just about him but about other matters or individuals uh and uh i i politely uh you know declined to reveal any information about anyone that's great uh because doing this and um for the for the amount of time i have i've met a lot of folks in this movement and uh, one of the things i make sure that um, i adhere to is that i maintain strict confidences uh, with all of them and so uh, i and you guys know me uh, you've known me for a little while you see how i am I, I, I'm not a, a gossipy kind of guy. I'm not like geared right. toward that. And I'm not saying that, you know, uh, that's applicable here. I'm just saying that uh, my my brain does not work that way. So uh, I, I consider, you know, what I do to be, um, you know, important. And I don't want to jeopardize the mission in any way. So we're making great strides. This year, last year was terrific. We've begun, you know, right out of the gate. We're 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 in the lead right now, and those guys are still in the tunnels, and uh, they're trying to dig out. But um, yeah, he he cannot obviously, uh, you know, reveal anything uh, about himself. So I could tell you he's a real person. Um. And uh, he's a nice guy, and he's smart, and he hates injustice. So he's like us. Yeah, I mean, that's a key point, Dave, and uh, that this is just a despicable, intentional lie uh, preying upon the decency which has has de-evolved into weakness by the white European legacy citizens in the first world to actually go along with this nonsense i mean you, it a week doesn't go by that it's supposed to be a once a year holocaust memorial day it seems like every month there's a new one as well as every month there's some initiative by some coward at the the state level signing into law that uh holocaust uh, education must be part of the XYZ state curriculum. I mean, you know, more and more people are waking up to the fact that these vile kikes, it's all a lie, right? Nothing that comes out of their mouth. My favorite six-word Russian proverb, fish swim, birds fly, Jews lie. And that's not the big Jew, that's all Jews. I, I mean, they all genetically are predisposed because we're talking about a, a death cult that, you know, rapes children, tortures children for adrenochrome, uh, 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 harvests their organs. The, the Jew is the number one 
illegal organ uh, sales uh, entity in the world and and putting these children into, into sex slavery and then ultimately murdering them. I mean, that is the legacy of the Jew. And so, number one, for people to not understand that we're not dealing with real humans, they're like a subhuman inbred uh, chameleon. They're, they're not human. And they look like they're white, and that's the greatest uh, treachery, but they're not. I mean, who who in their right mind rapes a three-year-old boy or girl? Who who thinks that's okay, Dave? Uh, who, and then who, Zach. Who, mean, who would write about it? Who, who would actually yeah. write about it and, like, justify it or, like, entertain it? Right. I mean, well, is it... I we we have to consult with all the rabbis over the over the generations. Is it okay to what? Why are you even uttering those words? So yes, as I've said before, I am not smart enough, so I don't know for sure. But I have serious doubts that they are human. Uh, they certainly don't act like it. So yeah. just the fact, as I said, that they're even talking about these things. Uh, it, it, it should be, it should be like a slap in the face to the goyim. But again, I don't want to say anything negative because because we're getting there. So yeah, they're just they're weird. Yeah, for sure, Zach. Any any comments you'd like to make? No, I have to agree with uh, Dave's assessment of them not being human. Right, we have to think about uh, how we define human, right? Uh, what, what's the difference between human and animal? Humans are conscious. Uh, they're, they're civil. They're humane. Um, I don't think they, they follow any of these traits or, or have any of these, uh, these character traits at all. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think I would categorize them as such. Uh, I, I do have another question for Dave. Um, before we actually get into the book, um, for those that can't answer that question on the front fact or fiction that, that haven't looked into this they haven't read something like this they've never even looked into it at all uh why is it important that they find out if this is fact or fiction why is it important for them to know well the, you know the the most obvious reason is that this is really and we've heard it before over you know over the years uh, many times, I'm sure, you know, this is like the linchpin to their power. And the reason it's the linchpin is because the Jew, OIJ, cannot be a victim and an aggressor at the same time. The human mind just doesn't work that way. So, it's, it's like multitasking, right? It's like people think they can multitask. Well, you really can't. I mean, you could do one task and then you can jump to another and you could do like 10 tasks, you know, within, let's say, 10 minutes. But you're not like really multitasking. So you can't think of this Jew as someone who is hated uh, someone who is, you know, constantly persecuted, someone who has been through, a, you know, a genocide, the Holocaust, and also someone who, you know, m viciously massacres, uh, literally, 
you know, thousands of people like on a daily basis. It's like, you know, if you look at what's happening in Gaza now, in the Gaza Strip, that explains everything. So, yes, there are some folks who are protesting this, but for the most part, you know, it's business as usual uh, for pretty much everyone. And the reason is because they've had a had a, a, a spell cast over them. And the Jew knows how to do that, and that's why it was very vital that they got control of uh, the media. Uh, so the, the first or the primary reason why it's important for folks to know whether it's fact or fiction, besides the fact that you should be curious about just about everything, but you're not, uh, the main reason is that so you can separate uh, the myth from reality and you can see that, okay, if this is fiction, then why is it fiction and what does having it appear as fact create in our world today? What bad things occur by allowing this 100% made-up event to appear as fact? So that, I think, is the main reason why it's important for them to know. Other reasons are that, like I said before, they should want to know. So some people just, most people just aren't curious. So you say, gee, I wonder why that looks like that or didn't look like that yesterday. Who cares? You know, why are you obsessing over it, right? Um, It doesn't mean anything. Well, I think everything means something. And right. so the main reason is, like I said, to look at this particular group and understand why, because it wasn't the Jews that created the Holocaust, even though the Jews have been talking about six million Jews in peril of, uh, you know, perishing for hundreds of years, because that, that has some sort of biblical significance from Leviticus, I think it is. But the Soviets were primarily responsible for the whole Holocaust myth being created because they wanted to pass the atrocities that they occurred, that they had incurred onto the losers of World War II, and that was the Germans. So they said, yeah, no, it wasn't us. It was the Germans. They did it. And look, look, they've got these ovens here. And, uh, you know, they were burning people. They were burning Jews. And, uh, you know, because the Holocaust didn't exist back then, the term for this alleged final solution, which doesn't exist. And so you could look at, you know, as many people have, encyclopedias from the 1960s, and there's nothing about Holocaust in there. Uh, Dictionaries, a colleague of mine, uh, you know, found an old dictionary from, I think it was like 1963. And, of course, nothing about the Holocaust, because it it didn't exist. It was created... primarily after the Six-Day War in 1967 when Jews began to, uh, you know, relate uh, to Israel. Prior to that, American Jews didn't want to have anything to do with Israel. But after Israel won that smashing victory, they all of a sudden wanted to affiliate with that country. So then this, this myth began to take form and now, of course, like you said, sadly, it's being taught to American children 
and I'm just sticking with America for now, but it's being taught all over the world, but to American children as if this, this, this fairy tale is real. So, uh, and again, that goes to the importance of knowing why it's fact or fiction, because the last thing we need are a bunch of children, impressionable children, because we know how sick these son of a bitches are in this country, because right. they want to allow children to become whatever sex they want, right? But like they say, well, if you uh, if you want to change genders, well, you only have two choices. <laughs> there aren't what the Jews have what like eight genders or something like that. Where are all these? Or thousands of them? Where are all these other choices? You can either be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. Yep. So I think it's important that we 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 actually. Um, do what we can to make sure that as many people know that this is a, a complete fiction. So when the children who are being brainwashed now in public education come to adult age and they go, well, yeah, of course, the Holocaust is real. I learned about it in school. Then we could say, okay, can, do you like to read? Oh, yeah, I love to read. Okay, Can you read this? And then let me know if you still think it's real. So that's why. That's a great point. And, and uh, boy, so Dave, you know, I think we should start. You you wrote a, a, a compelling foreword. Uh, would you would you mind reading it? It's so good that I think it really lays the foundation to then do the deep dive into the book. So, uh, what do you think of that? Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, let me, I have the book, but let me bring it up. Did that come through, uh, G, yeah, I have the, it. Uh -huh. um, the, the uh, table right of contents there. that I sent you? The, okay. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Right. Let me, uh, let's see. Yeah, there it is. Contents. Yep, perfect. So there's a foreword, and that's what I'm going to read. And the introduction by the author. And then you can see the chapters. That's what I was talking about before. This is like a, a reference book. So you've got uh, Nazis and Zionists before the war, the number of Jews under Nazi control, commonly used lies and distortions, and these are chapters. Chapter 4, the Nuremberg War Crimes Trials. The <clears throat> Chapter 5, the Einsatzgruppen, Myth and Reality. That, that was a really good chapter. Uh, they're all good, but you're familiar with the Einsatzgruppen? You guys? Uh, well, we'll eventually be going chapter by oh, chapter. Oh, cool. So. All right. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this is a deep dive. All right. Gonna be, you know, Excellent. Yeah. Confessions, uh, death camps versus labor camps, Auschwitz, the Rudolf Haas Confession and Memoirs, Oscar Groning, the Accountant of Auschwitz, the Acteon Reinhard camps, Kelmono and the gas vans, Beljak, Sobibor, Treblinka. So it actually lists these camps. Uh, Maginek, Dachau, I don't know if I skipped one. Let me see when you move that up there. Yep, okay, I did. That's 17. 
and then chapter 18, Bergen-Belsen, and then Sachsenhausen is chapter 19, and then 20, Mauthausen, the euthanasia programs, gas chambers, <clears throat> gas chambers in Neuengam and Ravensbrück, Natzweiler Struthoff and the Jewish Skeleton Collection, Struthoff, the Adolf Eichmann trial, the John Demaniak trials, Alwa Brunner and I Would Do It All Again lie, and the I Would Do It All Again lie, 80,000 Jews in the Danube, eyewitness accounts, outlandish Holocaust claims, and conclusion. So it covers everything. There's nothing about this farce that it doesn't cover. So I will, uh, as you uh, requested, I will read. I hope I can read um, clearly enough and uh, good enough for this. <clears throat> I'll clear my throat. Of <clears throat> and it was nice because this forward, uh, you know, came together uh, pretty nicely and quickly. And there were just a few changes that uh, were required to be made. So um, here it goes. In 1922, the great writer and thinker G.K. Chesterton penned an essay entitled On Household Gods and Goblins, which contained this sentence, For children are innocent and love justice, while most of us are wicked and naturally prefer mercy. He was saying that children approach new things with a certain purity and fair play, while most adults do evil things and then expect to be treated with kindness. That may be true, but there are those adults who do not do evil things and who try to entertain fresh topics with an open mind, as a child might. Sadly, these adults are in the stark minority a minority I feel to be part of. I, and more than likely most of you reading these words, have always viewed all topics with an open mind, or as close as I think I can come to that great ideal, and the Holocaust is no exception. Perhaps because I was not indoctrinated to this relatively recent concoction I have no qualms about it. I was born in 1960 in America, while the skeleton of the Holocaust was created at the end of World War II, and later fleshed out after the 1967 Six-Day War, when diaspora Jews warmed up to Zionism following Israel's smashing victory in the Third Arab-Israeli War. Now, to not believe in the Holocaust, or sorry, now to not believe the Holocaust unfolded exactly as our current rulers tell us it did, can bring shrieks of horror from the brainwashed sleeping masses, or prison time in an increasing number of countries around the globe. Intrigued by the challenge of not being able to speak freely on just this topic, nothing else is off-limits, and the free speech implications of such a ban, I began to attempt to find out why questioning the Holocaust 
was verboten. On December 11, 2010, I purchased the book Denying the Holocaust, The Growing Assault on Truth and Memory by Holocaust doyen Deborah E. Lipstadt, now the U.S. Special Envoy for Monitoring and Combating Anti-Semitism, an office whose duties include monitoring and combating acts of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic incitement that occur abroad, providing input on anti-Semitism, and some other such nonsense. Lipstadt, a New York-born Jew, was sued in an English court, along with publisher with the publisher Penguin Books by the brilliant author David Irving for libel for calling him in the book I bought 14 years after the lawsuit began and 10 years after it settled a Holocaust denier falsifier bigot and a manipulator and distorter of facts the unsurprising verdict Irving lost was branded a Holocaust denier ordered to pay all of Penguin's court costs, over $3 million, forced into bankruptcy, lost his home, banned from traveling to certain countries, and is now considered, by the current regime, a discredited historian. A few years later, he would be arrested, charged with trivializing, grossly playing down, and denying the Holocaust, and imprisoned, all for researching the Holocaust. Several of my colleagues have been imprisoned in Canada, the United Kingdom, Austria, and Germany for daring to share their findings on Jewish power and or the Holocaust via speeches, articles, videos, and even song. Determined to find out what all the hullabaloo is about and if the Holocaust was real, I had serious doubts, still legal at, at that time in the United States of America, I emailed Miss Lipstadt on Monday, January 10, 2011, at 12.34 p.m. with the subject line, Question. Dr. Lipstadt, I'm reading your book, Denying the Holocaust, and have a quick question. Is there a book that you could recommend that contains in one place all the evidence of the Holocaust? Thanks, Dave Gehari. And I put my website down there, davegehari.com. The good doctor did reply 81 days later on Friday, April 1, 2011 at 4:44 a.m. and in parentheses I put I wonder if that was an April Fool's Day prank there is no such thing many many books that's what she said there is no such thing many many books shocked by the ultimate or the shocked by the untimely response and its contents and after taking the day, I was just joking here, to regain my composure, I replied later that evening at 9.43 p.m. That's surprising. I would have thought someone would have thought to do that. 
and I put in parentheses, I don't think I've ever used would have thought twice in the same sentence with it still uh-huh. sounding okay. Is there at least an online listing of these books you allude to? Thanks. This time, the wait was anticlimactic, a mere 19 hours versus, of course, the 81 days. So she writes, use the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum website. Lots of bibliographic lists there. And that was that. All I wanted was one book from the Holocaust expert that would debunk and sink all the foolish, anti-Semitic filth pouring out of revisionist lairs. But it was not to be. At this point, I knew how much free thinkers were hated by not just the ruling classes, but by everyone but free thinkers. In the summer of 1905, Mark Twain wrote a short essay entitled The Privilege of the Grave, where he commented on free speech. And this is Twain. The living man is not really without this privilege, strictly speaking, but as he possesses it merely as an empty formality and knows better than to make use of it, it cannot be seriously regarded as an actual possession. As an active privilege, it ranks with the privilege of committing murder. We may exercise it if we are willing to take the consequences. Murder is forbidden both in form and in fact. Free speech is granted in form, but forbidden in fact. By the common estimate, both are crimes and are held in deep odium by all civilized peoples. Murder is sometimes punished, free speech always, when committed, which is seldom. I also knew if those Jews, whose purpose in life was to defend and propagate the Holocaust, had available a silver bullet, one-stop shop book with unassailable evidence proving this event existed and occurred as they demanded it did, they would use it to silence any and all criticism of their draconian history lesson. But they didn't, and they couldn't because it never happened. I didn't really know for sure. Sh- I didn't really know that for sure until I read this book, and came away with one word to describe what the brilliant Peter Winter had written. Insanity. Insanity that an event which never occurred incurs such vituperative scorn and retaliation, as if just questioning it, a literal non-event, could and does land you behind bars. When I expressed that feeling to the author, he agreed and added, and this is Peter Winter, The most ridiculous aspect is actually having to write a book to refute such obvious and apparent nonsense. It is akin to having to write a book refuting the existence of Snow White. Who would think up such a thing? It would be like the Confederacy claiming that the Union had murdered the entire white population of the South in 1860 
5.5 million whites in extermination camps during the Civil War. And then, when the white population was still there after the war, outlawing anyone who dared to say that the Union had not killed them. And then, not being able to say for sure how they had killed them or where. He was right about that. And all you're about to read, Lipstadt and the rest of the Holocaust scholars can't produce a single book proving the existence of the Holocaust. But the book you now hold in your hands unequivocally proves it was created out of whole cloth, like so many lurid dime novels. Commenting on the Holocaust, with quotes, of course, a well-known Israeli expatriate told a close colleague of mine, everyone in Israel knows it's a hoax. It's an inside joke. One day, hopefully soon, a Holocaust scholar will be viewed as a vile scoundrel who bullied millions of innocent truth seekers and ruined the lives of many. And a Holocaust admitter will be viewed as a mindless imbecile duped into believing nearly everything spewed from the poison lips of the regime media. Wow, that's that's really really well, well uh, well done, Dave. And uh, you know, it leads me to a question. I'll ask first you, then Zach to comment. Is like the Jew seems very adept at creating false religions, right? In, in the in our lifetime, we've seen this this false religion of the the sacred Holocaust, and in the last um, uh, hundred years or so, the false religion of the uh, the ma- the magic jab, you know, quaxination, which is just a, a ridiculous uh, farce. Again, if you look into it a little bit, you see that there's never been an effective vaccination. And simultaneously, now we've got the uh, false religion of there's more than two uh, genders. There's either XX or XY, as we all know. But uh, the, the special snowflakes are joining the false religion of uh, be whatever you want to be. You want to identify as a cat or you want to identify as a, a urinal? Well, you go right ahead. I mean, it's just absurd. And, and to me, Dave, and here's the question, it seems like the Jew is running X number because the number keeps ticking up constantly like the national debt, which is the Jews stealing the real wealth from American citizens. Uh, with the number of psyops they run, right? It's never ending. They're always launching something new. And why? Why would people? I mean, you know, we're old enough. We got a decent education. I, I always look at truth and facts, and and you know, the scientific method, if possible. And yet, uh, most people these days don't, and they just take these false religions for granted. So, why do we allow? This nonsense and and good people destroyed. Ernst Zundel, the truth is not a defense. David Irving, man, I've watched so many of his presentations, read a couple of his books, and that guy's been destroyed now. I mean, he used to have, you know, a major publisher in Penguin, and and for telling the truth. I mean, it's just 
It's absurd. So why is it that these weak-minded sheeple and normies are so gullible for these false kike religions? Yeah, I think it goes back to what what we were talking about before. And I've described us, uh, our our group, as mutants. And, you know, just as, as I've said uh, prior, growing up, right we've we've seen it in you know kindergarten elementary school middle school junior high high school you know we th- we're different than most of the folks in school and the reason we were is because we were curious and we were not offended by any idea or thought you know we are i guess in in many ways like true scientists Uh, And so, you know, I see it in, you know, in you guys, I see it in, you know, the other, many of the other folks in our, in our arena. Um, You know, uh, Germar Rudolph is a perfect example. He, he, he is a scientist and, you know, the scientist is interested in science. It's interested in, uh, you know, testing out hypotheses uh, to see how something works. Obviously, you know, uh, what's that saying about uh, those who uh, hate the truth, right? Um, You know, truth does not fear investigation. And by the way, uh, Ernst was uh, kidnapped in Tennessee. So it wasn't, he was hunted. That was a good word you used, but he was also kidnapped illegally. There you go. Uh, And so the JOG, a lot of people refer to it as ZOG, Zionist occupied, but it's JOG. It's Jewish occupied government. Uh, the jog that existed then and now, um, they took him right off his property. And I had the great fortune of interviewing him for many hours when he was in the Black Forest in Germany. And uh, he told me the story about how they treated him. It was, it was horrendous. I mean, you get these uh, savages today who murder people and they're insisting the jog regime is insisting that they get back out on the street they're treated with reverence they're ignorant savages but here a brilliant guy civilized was not even allowed to get his medicine this is the power of the jew when you can kidnap somebody off of their front lawn Lock them up in prisons like CIA black sites. Lock them up in prisons and refuse to give them their heart medication or whatever other medication that they need to stay alive. This is the power of Jog. And this is why everybody needs to learn as much as they can about Jog. And again, I've said it before. If you're not entirely enraged and infuriated by what you have found, then you have not read it. And if you and if you have read it and you're still not extremely pissed off and want to do something about it, then there's something wrong with you. That is outstanding, man. Exclamation point, underline, boldface. That's exactly right. Zach... Do you have any comments on uh, why people are so gullible for the all the Jew uh, pseudo religions that they keep uh, running with these psyops? And then uh, take away your next uh, question for Dave as well. 
Yeah, uh, you you asked, you know, what exactly the factor is, and I, and I think uh, I think it really boils down to one thing, and it, it's simply media. Um, I, I it's just their control of media because without this control, uh, again, let's go back to this example. Most people don't know who Ernst Sundell is. Most average Americans, if they knew who Ernst Sundell was and they knew what happened to Ernst Sundell, would feel that that's a great injustice. And they probably would gather together and make sure that things like that weren't happening. But they don't know because the media obviously won't cover him. And if they do cover him, it's through character smearing and making him look as if he's this uh, demonic, evil psychopath when i mean if you if anybody has watched any of ernst sundell's video he was like the sweetest man ever he couldn't you know didn't want to harm a fly and that was very evident um it's just that simple piece uh that what only what they want seen gets seen and because of that we're unable to actually gather the minds against these things that happen right and for example we look at cases that they do want seen. Look at this George Floyd nonsense, right? They can frame it in a way they like it. They clip it up just per, uh, pretty and perfect, just how they want it. And then they put it on the media and they can get everybody to see it and create this mass uproar against it. And this is something that wasn't actually a, a gross injustice, right? So now we look at gross injustices. Now imagine if that was covered in the media. Imagine if people knew of these things. I, I think we would have a serious case to... to fix a lot of the problems but media is number one and and um uh, dave i'll let you do your motto here i think yeah no that that's that is uh you know for sure um you know the media is is the key yes and and you know i i didn't realize that really uh i was stupid i didn't realize that for way after uh, I started studying this. Um, it, it should have been very clear to me, I'm thinking in hindsight, that, you know, even just coming to that conclusion about what you just said about the media, it should have been right there in my face, but it wasn't. Um, but yes, we need to, uh, we need to get our own media and, and, and we're getting it. And obviously we're waking people up. So, and that's why they're scrambling, you know, I think a dozen states now are passing laws on anti-Semitism, um, you know, so we're, we're over the target. We just keep going, man. And what was that motto, Zach? Uh, you, you, come on, you said you wanted it on a t-shirt. Imagine a world. Oh, yeah, right. you, say you go. it, go, go ahead. ahead, go uh, ahead, uh, say um, it. Imagine a world without the Jews media. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'd like That's to perfect. ask both of you, and I agree with the observation that uh, uh, the the Jew control the media is powerful and sadly very effective. But don't you think that it's more like like a, a, a villainy of a team, like the Injustice Society to the Injustice League, that not only do they control the media, but they control these politicians who pass these laws in these countries, such as Germany and many other European countries, where you can't question an obvious lie 
and simultaneously they control these transnational corporations who are poisoning all these young children with bisophenol A and glyphosate and then controlling academia where they're poisoning the mind of these young kids with these psychopathic parasites and groomers that are all rampant in the NEA National Education Association these these freaks with their rainbow hair and piercing their genitalia and what have you and 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 and, and yet they they uh, are in a position where they can subvert the control of parents over these impressionable children so to me the villainy is a group thing not just the of course I agree the media but it's simultaneous all these effective uh, uh, controlling uh, mechanisms. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. The, it is. We, we saw with um, that alien, Larry Frink, uh, Frink, <laughs> Larry Fink from BlackRock, we right. saw how they use, well, first we saw the desire of the Jew. The desire of the Jew is to destroy the white race. The right. way to destroy the white race is to push this DEI, diversity, right. equity, inclusion. Just like pushing CRT, critical race theory, same thing. Teach right. the goyim, the sheeple, white man bad, black man good. You know, everything that was created by the great white men is racist and evil. You are good. You haven't created a damn thing. Don't worry about that. But you're good. White man, bad. You live off back of white man. That okay. You know, I don't know why I'm making a, an Indian voice. But, um, <laughs> but you saw... Works for me. Yeah, well, there you go. You got no choice. You're going to get an Indian. So you saw Fink the way, and it was caught on video, where that alien was was admitting that they financially reward... Uh, these particular entities, these funds, because uh, they use, this is how they do it. They use the money. Look what's happening with Harvard and Yale and all that other nonsense. They're taking away the money. They take away the money. They take away the donations. They take away the the uh, the funds for the school. If you don't do this, if you don't get black surgeons in there, I don't give a damn if they can't even hold a scalpel. You get the black surgeons in there. So we, they cut the guy's artery. You know, hey, it happens. At least our DEI score is high. So this is what they're doing. We saw Fink say that. We're rewarding people. And then another jackass, a subversive piece of shit chimed in and go, yeah, we are too. So this is how it happens. And, and again, this is nothing new. The Jew has been doing this forever right. what hitler went through what germany went through is almost exactly what the united states is going through right now so you know many folks don't realize that berlin you know was you know the gay capital of the world i mean that's where weimar right germany. the weimar republic that's where you know, all of these sex changes began. Those are the real Dr. Mengele's. The Jews who are doing it. They, again, it goes back to this. See, it's all tied in. There's something wrong with them. Sorry. Probably has to do with the inbreeding. All right? So yes. even saying that, 
is unpalatable to so many, but you have to be able to overcome your weakness in this area. You know, you have to, and, and again, that goes back to the whole scientist thing. You have to be able to look at it as a scientist. You know, okay, well, let's look at this right here. So if you're an Ashkenazi Jew and you want to have sex with an Ashkenazi Jew, you share like 200 genetic disorders? You know, just that, you know, knowing that. I mean, if you have a piece of paper that has that, then you're like, wow, okay, so let's see. Hmm, so they have sex with their cousins. Mm -hmm. But then they can get, oh, let me see, all of the, wow, all of these diseases from doing, yeah, yes, yes, Goyam, yes, Sleepwalker, that's what happens. So you need to dig into all of this stuff that, and as Zach was saying, is what they do is they refuse, so it's not that they're, they are, of course, lying on the Jews media, but it's not that they're so much lying but they're omitting and if they just literally gave you the information so you could decide we'd be we'd like like zach said that idea i had imagine a world without the jews media we would i mean literally well imagine a world without jews same thing right i mean it would just be beautiful it really would i think you know like i've i've compared america with newton's um first law um and that is uh that a body at rest will remain at rest unless acted upon by an unbalanced force and america was a body at rest in the halcyon days of however, wherever you want to take it from, the creation of this once great nation to the 1960s, unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. And of course, that unbalanced force is the Jew. And since the Jew has asserted itself and its desire for tikan olam and to destroy, what we see now is the results of that. But again, it's happening. So many people are finding out about it. Great points, Dave. And let me read the brief introduction, and then we'll, we'll go into Chapter 1. By the author himself, he writes, For many people, the story of the six million, in quotes, has become an article of faith. Therefore, it is surprising for many to be confronted with the reality that the entire story is, at the very best, a poor concoction of lies and, at worst, an utterly evil conspiracy designed to besmirch the German people, I, I certainly believe the latter myself. Constant repetition in the media, combined with endless Hollywood films, character assassination of any historical researcher who has dared to investigate the topic, and finally, legislation outlawing revisionism only for the Second World War has created the impression amongst the public that the so-called, in quotes, Holocaust cannot be questioned. The truth has, however, nothing to fear from open inquiry, and only those who have something to hide seek to outlaw books. It is therefore highly ironic that those who seek to outlaw historical revisionism do so in the name of democracy, in quotes, and fail to see that their very desire to censor historical research and differing opinions is the very opposite of democracy. 
Without further delay, the reader is invited to read on, critically evaluate, and form their own conclusion on whether the $6 million is fact or fiction. There you go. All right, so Dave, Chapter 1, Nazis and Zionists Before the War. So, um, um, oh, I guess, uh, let's see. I guess do we want to just, how, how do you want to do this, Dave? You want to go and just kind of address the bullet points or, or how, how deep of a dive? For like um, read, we often read, read key sections of, of each page. How would you like to proceed? Yeah, I mean, let's take a look at this uh, at this particular chapter, right? Um, and it is, uh, and it's broken into sections, right? So mm-hmm. you know, you've got here in this particular chapter, it's got. I'm going to go through it real quick, and I'm looking at the PDF online. I could be looking at the book as well. Uh, it looks like. Uh, there are nine sections. And so if we look at, you know, how it's broken down, of course, you said, as you said, Nazis and Zionists before the war, section one is Nazi anti-Semitism and Jewish emigration from greater Germany. And so I think that... um, well, here, yeah. let me read the first two paragraphs because sure. it sets the stage. Sure. And then you can, you can address the bullet points. So Peter Winter writes, The first thing that any person notices about media coverage of the Third Reich, Hitler, or the, in quote, six million story is that, although there is always plenty of coverage of Nazi anti-Semitism, there is hardly any attempt to explain why Hitler was able to come to power on such a strongly anti-Jewish political platform. If this topic is addressed, it is often claimed that the Nazis were jealous of Jewish money, intellect, and achievements, aren't we all? Or any other such obvious trite reason. Like the entire six million narrative, the reality differs significantly from post-war propaganda. The real reasons for Nazi anti-Semitism were far deeper. And then he, he goes in the bullet points, Dave. Would you like to address the bullet points? Yeah, so it's, you know, the first bullet says Jews were identified as a racially alien group engaged in political, social, and moral subversion. I mean, they're still that way. This is the way they are. You know, Jews are, right. Jews are like, um, and there's a lot of folks who... Uh, are latching on to this, um, like, no-nukes theory, right? Um, Right. That uh, doesn't exist. That's nuclear bombs. Now, of course, in the Navy, I was on a nuclear sub. So I I, I know for sure that, I think I know for sure that um, we did not use diesel or electric when we were submerged. So uh, there was, there somehow we were, we had propulsion. And it was created by the splitting of, Uranium, you know, which right. when, when uranium splits, uh, then the uh, the components or the particles of that atom, uh, you know, th- burst out, and it's through their speed, their you know their uh, kinetic energy uh, that they bang into like water molecules, and when you bang into a water molecule and pass that kinetic energy onto that molecule. What it does is it creates uh, temperature, heat. So that's how it works. So we know that you know this is true. 
We also know that, you know, Jews have always been like that. So they've right. always been politically subversive. So, again, what Hitler had gone through, and, and really, in many ways, the Jews propelled Hitler to power. And the reason was is because he saw what they were doing, that they were a racially alien group engaged in political, social, and moral subversion, as they are today. And he utilized that uh, in his uh, political platforms uh, to appeal to the electorate. Uh, and anyone, you know, uh, who's semi-conscious could see that, you know, the Jew is different than pretty much everyone else. And that's why you've got, you know, the mer the happy merchant, uh, which right. is very popular and well-known because they just are like that. I mean, just look at some of the real Jews. You know, there's a meme now going around about that scumbag who controls one of those... Uh, uh, like pornography sites. Have you seen that? Mm. Oh, the rabbi? No, not the <laughs> no, rabbi. Uh, not the rabbi. Leonid Ravinsky. Uh, yes. He's a, he's a Ukrainian Jew who controls OnlyFans, which uh, is a very problematic website because we have a lot of young white women going on that website and selling off their bodies to, to make money. It's disgusting. Uh, yes. And he's uh, one of the head funders of APAC now. Yep. That's it. Thank you. Thank you for very well, great, great in, in, Zach, that's exactly yeah. right. So, the the oh yes, that's exactly what I was uh, trying to you know recall. So thank you, Zach. Um, so yes, they did this stuff. They continue to do this stuff. So he was able to use this, as I said, to rally the troops. And obviously, once they got the Jews out, um, as it says here. Uh, objections to Jewish money lending practices were as old as the European Jewish community and were explicitly mentioned in the English Magna Carta. They were also the primary reason why Jews were expelled from every single European nation during the whole, during the Middle Ages. So you know that you know how that uh, that there's a meme that says uh, you know if you if you were thrown at 109 pubs right <laughs> it's not the pubs fault right <laughs> right yeah so exactly. so this and this goes back to the Jew very acutely aware that the Jew is different from the non-Jew and it hurts the Jew in a lot of ways to know that. Because the Jew wants to be like everybody else in in many ways, but it knows it can never be, because it's an, it's a distinct, unique organism. It's not right. like humans, and so the Jew uses other means to make up for the fact that it will never be like the rest of humanity, and those means are the tikkun olam making the world a better place, according to the Jew, of course. The Jew is not asking us, hey, would you mind if we completely destroyed your society and civilization and uh, so we could feel comfortable? Because that's what it is. That's all it is. So yep. when Hitler went through, and, and Germany, sadly, <clears throat> went through what they did, 
because of the Jew. And of course, the Jewish influence in the Versailles Treaty and everything else that went, went on with it. It wasn't just that. Heck, like we talked about in the In Black and White video series, Roman, the Roman statesman, Marcus Tullius Cicero, in B.C., was lamenting about the Jew. Mm-hmm. So this is nothing new. The only thing is, is that for good or for bad, humans do not, they don't come into this world with a collective memory. They don't come, in, come into the world and go, yeah, I know all about the Jew because my parents knew about it. No, unfortunately, like I said, unfortunately or fortunately, we're a blank slate. So we have to learn for ourselves. We have to go through this process, which is, it's grueling to be in the position we're at now. All of us and all those folks listening. It's grueling because you actually go through a period, as I did, and I've talked to other folks, they've went through similar experiences, where once you learn what you're learning about this, and we'll we'll stick to this topic, you begin to think that you're losing your mind. That could it be? Could you be right? How could it be? It's not out there. Nobody's telling you this stuff. Am I insane? And then you find out, yes, it is true. And no, you're not insane, but everything else is insane. Everything else is insanity, and everything else is the opposite of what the truth is. So, yes, what, what Germany went through, sadly what they went through, and what they're still going through, can be tied directly to the Jew not fitting in with the rest of humanity. I'd like to, and that leads us to section two, Dave, which is um, a colon Germany's Jews emigrated. There's a key word: em emigrated means you leave a country. Immigrated means you're coming into it with an I means you're coming into a country. So the whole goal of the Zionist, the early form Zionist, what Zionism really was only developed in the late. 19th century so you're only talking about a movement that was barely uh, 40, 50 years old by the time uh, uh, pre-World War II came around but there was a big plan Dave wasn't there to get as many Jews to willingly move from uh, Germany to uh, Palestine which uh, you know the original Balfour Declaration most people don't uh, uh uh, look into what the actual wording, but Balfour was played as a boob because they they it's in the document that there was supposed to be equal participation and safety for all religions in Palestine. Every the locals, Christians, the Jews, they were all supposed to be given the opportunity to live in peace. Because prior to the Rothschild invasion. Uh, um, that's how Palestine worked. The actual Semitic Jews, the brown-skinned locals, actual Semitic Christians, and actual Semitic Muslims had lived together and and, and neighborly for for you know decades, if not longer. So I mean, you look at the pictures of 1920 Palestine. It, it's a very sophisticated first world. A region much the way uh, Europe was. So it's just so disgusting that these these vile uh, kikes lie about everything and, and destroy everything. So your thoughts, and then 
uh, well, that'll lead us into the further sections. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to, and I just thought, you know, because we were trying to figure out how to present this. But let me just say this in the previous, uh, you know, bullet or the previous section one about Nazi anti-Semitism, right? Um, because it says right here, it's perfect. In summary, then, the Nazis sought to expel Jews from all aspects of Germany's political, cultural, and social life. And it was to this end that their anti-Semitic policies were aimed. So it's okay for the Jew to expel all non-Jews from their lives, from their groups, but it wasn't okay for Germany to do it. So the Germans just wanted them out. They knew they weren't like Germans. Just go out. And of course, again, if it wasn't for Edwin Black writing the transfer agreement, many folks would not know about what happened with that Havara. The Germans were very successful in creating this arrangement where, and this was working in cahoots with Jews, who agreed with the Nazis, and there's a lot of folks who think the term Nazi is, is pejorative, but it's not. Uh, the Germans themselves referred to, uh, you know, the National Socialist Party as Nazis. There, there, there's, uh, you know, articles and books about it. Goebbels himself did it. Um, but again, another, another Jew creation um, right. To use a term to uh, denigrate, it was meant to be a slander. It was meant to be a slander. Yeah, exactly. So um, the, the Zionists themselves, the, Jew, the Jewish Zionists themselves, really thought uh, a lot of uh, the National Socialists, the Nazis, and they wanted to work with them to because they realized that the Jews did not belong with the rest of humanity in Germany. And they wanted to work with them to get as many Jews out as possible. And they had this very interesting scheme where, um, and scheme not in, a, not in a pejorative sense, but to... Literal. Yeah. To, uh, you know, encourage emigration from Germany to Palestine. And and what it was was that you would have to obviously have money, and if you could, uh, you know, put this money aside here, and so the German economy and government could benefit from you leaving, and then when you, you know, when you get to Palestine, and of course it go, it will go through a couple of stages, it will go into like a Zionist bank, and they'll get, and the Zionists will keep a large portion of it, and they'll get a certain percentage back when they get there. There were over right. 60,000 German Jews who emigrated from Germany to Palestine. It was very successful. Um, the only reason it stopped was because of, uh, you know, the onset of uh, World War II. So they, it, it did work. Uh, the Jews, the Zionist Jews were very happy that they could get, and you know, in, in many ways, you know, Hitler had a lot to do with the creation of the modern state of Israel because of that. You know, and a lot of people want to jump on his case because of 
uh, hey, if it wasn't for Hitler, Israel wouldn't exist. Well, whatever. You know, there are a lot of other variables at play here. And so, yes, uh, it was uh, a, um, a, a symbiotic uh, relationship, and it worked. And as it says here, according to official and undisputed figures, there were approximately 523,000 Jews in Germany as of January 1933, before the Nazis came to power. Where they got up, where they got up to 6 million, I don't know. Okay. So there were half a million Jews, let's say, in Germany prior to Hitler assuming control after being appointed chancellor on January 30th, right, 1933. At the time of the annexation of Austria in 1938, there were approximately roughly 182,000 Jews. So they got the exact figure here anyway, 181,882 Jews in that country. This meant that in total, there were ever only around 704,882 German and Austrian Jews under direct Nazi control. So 60,000 approximately of those Jews made their way out to Palestine. And it was, as I said, it was a great success. So, uh, you know, just the just that fact, and again, it's undisputed, and these figures are undisputed. Just that fact, or opening up that that can of, you know, it's not worms, but that can of information. You know, you could spend a lot of time just learning about that whole transfer agreement, and once you continue down, and I know we're running out of time pretty soon, and once you continue down that that path of knowledge that will unravel this uh, fact or fiction mystery, which of course it's not. It is to, you know, uh, many folks out there, but once they get the book and read it, it will not be anymore. And it was the same for me. I was like 99% sure the the whole Holocaust was a hoax. But after I read this, I was 100% sure. So, yes. Well, it's interesting, and Peter Winter, the author, uh sums it all up at the bottom of page three where he goes, it is one of the great ironies of history that the Zionist and National Socialist government policies about Jews coincided to a considerable degree. National Socialist and Zionist policies coincided before the war and cooperation continued until 1943 as he he details in the pages that follow. The reason for the Zionist-Nazi cooperation was simple. The Nazis wanted the Jews to leave Germany, and Zionists wanted the Jews to come to Palestine to create the Zionist state. So they were very respectful of each other, and as the the, the chapters continue to uh, outline, and they worked together, they minted a coin, a gold coin, that allowed, uh, on one side was the swastika, on the other side was the uh, Star of David, the Remfen uh, satanic symbol, and and it's just amazing that uh, this was all going along pretty well until uh, the war heated up. Uh, Zach, any thoughts on this first chapter? No, I think uh, I think that makes a a lot of sense. I also just wanted to point one more thing out um, about this uh, 
Leonid Radvinsky that we brought up earlier um, to uh, further hammer in the point that uh, they are not like us. They are an alien group uh, to show this contrast. So uh, a little bit of backstory on this OnlyFans organization. It was actually created by a Gentile. Okay, and when and when this organization was created, it wasn't a porn site. It was a site that, let's say, you were a, a Hollywood movie director or uh, you know a music star or something stupid like that. If you were a fan of that person, you could join their OnlyFans and see the behind the scenes of what they do in their day to day life. It was an innocent platform. This Jew then invested in it, took over a majority stake in the company, <laughs> and turned it into a porn site. And then he takes that money, that revenue, and then further destabilizes our society with funding. It's it's quite interesting. With funding, APAC. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. Yeah, thank you, Zach. Um, gee, I just want to say, uh, in this in this particular part, on, on page four, where it talks about the Nuremberg Laws, right? We've all heard about the Nuremberg Laws, right? Listen to this. The 1935 Nuremberg Laws, now dismissed as Nazi anti-Semitic laws, were drawn up with the active assistance and support of the German Council of Jews. Yep. What makes this fact even more astounding is that the definition of who is a Jew is created by Israel's law of return. What's that called? Aliyah? as amended in 1970, is based on the definition as contained in the Nuremberg Laws. Right. So Israel is using the Nuremberg Laws for their law of return. Wow. Everything's the opposite. Everything's bullshit. What, everything that they try to throw at us is, is horseshit. It's all a lie. Yeah. And it's from, and that's why books are so important. Books are really important because they're different from videos and they're different from articles in the sense that it's it's literally like going on a journey, right? The author has for some reason has been, you know, drawn to writing a book. And all of the knowledge of this author is put in this in this book on this particular topic and you don't have to do what he or she did you can just grab the book and read everything that they did all the hours and days and weeks and months and years that they've studied this particular topic it's at it's literally at your fingertips and the important part of it is once you get that knowledge You've got it. And no one can take it from you. And that knowledge will then be utilized on your next book, where you remember what was in that previous book and how it relates to this book. And that's the, that's everything about experience. And that's what I was talking about earlier with Peter Winter. This is a guy who has great knowledge on this topic. And it's taken decades for him to put this together. So if, and again, if this is something that someone's, you know, many folks might not be interested in, in, you know, getting the information on 
the fact that the Holocaust is fiction. Uh, you know, maybe they're maybe they're interested in other things, and that's fine. But you know, the topic of this show is this book, and so I think that if someone has questions about it, which most will, that it probably would would make sense to pick it up. You know, go to Money Tree Publishing and get the book, and it's you know it's 580 pages. It's thick. It's filled with information. You know, you're probably going to have to refer to other areas if you don't know fully what's being discussed. And start reading it. And then tune in to whatever it is that we'll be back together. And you will have actually read that chapter. And you'll know exactly what, and actually we'll get you on the show. You can tell the listeners about it instead of us. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, down the road we'll have to do as more people who have bought the book and read the book will will do a call-in show uh, in the spring or what have you and get people's thoughts of reading it. But the the key instance as we continue through page one is that the 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 Zionist uh, parasites and the Nazi finance uh, Nazi uh, uh, planners were working together with this Havara transfer agreement and. What it did, like you mentioned earlier in the show, Dave, is you'd get this gold coin, and then all your wealth from Germany, would you would move to Palestine, set up your residence, and then your money would be there waiting for you, minus a vig for the kike, of course. Uh, and so so that, that was working out pretty well. But then Section 6 points out, uh, the author points out that there's this extreme schizophrenia that was going on, the Jewish declaration of war against Germany and the organized boycott of German goods. So at the same time, the Zionists are pretty happy with uh, working with the Nazis to get uh, X thousands, tens of thousands, not over 100,000 Jews to move. All of a sudden, there's other Jews who are freaking out about it. And all of a sudden, another great lie claiming Hitler declared war on the Jew. No, as, as Peter Winter clearly uh, proves with the headline on page 11, Judea declares a war on Germany. Jews of all the world unite in action. Boycott of German goods. So once again, the lie of, and the, the, the madness, the schizophrenia of, of generations, millennia of inbreeding. And it's just like, uh, it's, it's like the, uh, the classic... Uh, uh, aphorism of the scorpion and the frog, right? I mean, the Jew is the scorpion. Take me across the river, Mr. Frog. Well, you'll sting me. You'll kill me. No, I won't. If I if I sting you, I kill myself. Oh, okay. And then he does it in the middle of the river, and as they're both sinking, the frog says, why? And and the, 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 the Jew scorpion says, because it's who I am. And that is exactly, that sums up the kike in all its parasitic malignancy right there yeah and so then there's more excellent pictures a mass rally of jews in new york city 1933 calling for the boycott and with their considerable political clout and then what's really interesting dave and we have uh i guess we'll we'll just briefly overview it but the lie of crystal knock you want to qu quickly uh summarize that that lie as to makes it seem like 
the, the lying kikes today make it seem like the Germanies were freaking out and attacking Jewish shops for no reason, right? Which is the classic Jew will tell you what happens to them. They'll never tell you why. But the why is crucial in this instance, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, of course. It was, again, uh, it, you know, there's there's so many throughout history. And of course, you don't hear it because the Jews media doesn't want you to hear about it. Besides the fact that, you know, the biggest mass murderers in uh, the history of the world were Jews. Um, it was another Jewish assassin. Uh, this Jewish assassin uh, by the name of Herschel Grinspan, he murdered a, a German diplomat, uh, Ernst von Rath, inside the German embassy in Paris on November 7, 1938. And that was after a another Jew in February 1936, uh, David Frankfurter, shot Wilhelm Gustloff, the German leader of the Nazi party in Switzerland. Right. So they were outraged about that. And then when this happened, they were further outraged. And that's what created, um, you know, the Kristallnacht. So it says post-war coverage of Kristallnacht almost always